Hi friends and welcome back to another episode of Open House, a fresh, fun and real podcast where I, Louise Rumble, invite you inside the therapy room with me to learn from some of the very best psychologists, therapists and sex and intimacy coaches that I have found. No topic is off the table, no question too juicy and no experience too shameful. At Open House, everyone is welcome and we're on a mission to develop a new mental health experience for all because we we believe that true happiness is coming home to yourself under the layers and layers of you that society has told you to be. As ever, please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and you should always seek professional medical help when necessary. Now, let's get into it and I'll see you on the other side. Hi, my honeys, and welcome back to the second part of the cheating formula, cheating explored, cheating explained, whatever you want to call it. We are talking about cheating. This is the follow-on from part one. So if you haven't already gone to listen to that one, go back, listen to part one, because it's really, really important that you understand how this cheating formula works. We've basically reduced cheating down to issues from within plus issues from the relationship plus issues going on around and outside of the relationship. And it's through this three-part formula that we can start to see quite clearly that there's a couple of different commonalities between cases of infidelity. And so if we flip that on its head in reverse, if we want to be proactive, if we want to protect our relationships from infidelity, then understanding where these weak spots are can actually lead us to being much stronger in the long run. Now, I don't want you to think that I am Little Miss Perfect over here because I am so far from that. It is actually a sick joke. But one thing that I have learned is that to have comfortable relationships, you have to have uncomfortable conversations. And when I was younger, I just wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do it when we were growing apart. I wouldn't do it when my needs weren't being met. I wouldn't do it when my physical needs weren't being met. I wouldn't communicate about the things that were uncomfortable or that caused me discomfort. Instead, in the silence, I let them build and build and build and build until one day I would go out, get drunk and cheat on my boyfriend and then live with so much shame and regret afterwards. Now, as a much healthier person, as someone who's gone to therapy, as someone who's worked through all of the things that we spoke about in part one of this, you know, the issues from within, the lack of self-esteem, the lack of validation, all of those things. I now can understand why I did those things when I was younger. And a key pillar of my relationship today is that we will have uncomfortable conversations. And because of that, I feel really, really comfortable that neither of us are going to do anything to hurt the other. And I would like to think, touch wood, touching a lot of wood right here. I don't normally do that touch wood thing, but this would be awful if I recorded this episode and my boyfriend later cheated on me. I would hope that if at any point in our relationship, we really felt like there was something that wasn't happening in the relationship or something that someone was doing in the relationship that was damaging either the relationship as a whole or the other person, that we would be able to have those conversations before it became so drastic that someone felt like they needed to step outside of the relationship to look for something else. 
I do think this comes with age. I do think it comes with confidence to share your truth, to speak your truth, to know that your truth is valued in a relationship. And I also think it comes from having a healthy partner, understanding that you can have these conversations without someone being abusive or shouting at you for having emotions and for having feelings. So if you're listening to these two parts of this episode and you're thinking, I could never have conversations like this, then I think that that in itself could be an interesting flashlight into where you are right now in your relationship. Today, we talk about all things growing apart, unmet needs, feeling trapped, as well as social media, the people that you surround yourself with, and so much more. Now, as a reminder, if you're an Open House Premium subscriber, you get this entire cheating formula in a PDF. It's much easier to understand it when it's written down. If you want to join us in the house, our community area, get access to all those bonus episodes and the best group of people I have ever met, you can do that through the show notes. And also remember, if you are living this right now, if you are living the pain, if you have been cheated on, if you think your partner is cheating on you, Dr. Terry and I have put together two 40-page therapy eBooks to literally take you through this journey start to finish, to work out what's going on, to work out how to handle it, to work out how to have these horrible conversations and to work out ultimately if you should move forward from this situation on your own or with your partner. All of those are linked in the show notes too. Them and so many other things are in our therapy shop on the website. And before we get in this, most of all, I just wanted to say thank you. It's June. We have had our highest streaming month ever to date. I don't know what's happened. I don't know how you guys are finding the podcast, but what I know is that there are more people coming through this podcast than ever before. I am so grateful for you supporting this mission. I am so grateful for you listening to me. And I'm just so grateful that together we are being the change that we want to see in the world. You know, being inside of our community area is the most beautiful thing to see people helping other people people connecting over shared experiences. There's just so much human connection in there and it is everything that I didn't have when I was younger. And it is my ultimate honor to be able to give it to you. And I just hope you found it sooner than I did. Anyway, I love you guys. Let's get into this. It's parts two and three of The Cheating Formula and I'll see you on the other side. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Open House Podcast with me, Louise Rumble. And today I have the incredible Dr. Terry Mack with me, clinical psychologist. She is the go-to on the Open House Podcast for all things relationships and dating. So when it came to cheating, I knew that it was a no-brainer to ask Terry if she wanted to join me on this episode. Cheating is actually something to be understood. And today we're going to understand it. So The first part of the cheating formula is issues or challenges that come from within. So these are either things like learned behaviors, personality disorders, et cetera, et cetera. Once you've understood how these issues and challenges can come from within, from your personality, which is in step one, then you can move into part two of the formula, which is issues or challenges from within the relationship. Now, the first point we have here is an unmet emotional or physical need from within the partnership. And I think what's really interesting is we also have it as over a sustained period of time. I'd love to get into that because I feel like anyone that says that they have like, oh, you know, this happened, like we had a fight, so I cheated on you. That is not an unmet need over a sustained period of time. 
And I'd love to understand where that fits into, into this list. Well, in that example, like there's a fight and then one person cheats. That goes back to the first category, personality disorders. Narcissism, for example, is highly linked to cheating, poor impulse control, lack of empathy, going outside of the relationship to solve a problem. There is that entitlement with narcissists. They control and dominate and they use people for their own supply. In that example, like there's a fight and then one person cheats, that goes back to the first category. What we're talking about here is an emotional or physical need that is going unmet for a long time in the relationship. So let's talk about this a little bit. People grow apart and people grow apart oftentimes because they're not communicating about how they're feeling in the relationship, if their needs are getting met, They're not having those difficult conversations. Sometimes, though, people are having those difficult conversations or one person is trying to bring the issues up, share their feelings, talk about their unmet needs. And the other person just isn't responding or saying the right things, but then not following through. So whatever the dynamic is over a long period of time, if there are needs that are not being met, this makes the relationship more susceptible to one person cheating. And it's not, again, that it's excusable, but this is just something that happens, especially if you are going to your partner, trying to resolve an issue, trying to get them to understand your feelings, understand you or look at an issue, and it you feel like it keeps getting dismissed, ignored, causing conflict. Some people feel like I've done everything I can, so they end up going outside of the relationship. I also think here is where this concept of like, oh, he or she cheated for the excitement or for the attention or for really like to feel something. And I remember once my mum said she sees men cheating on their wives after they've had a baby because all of a sudden that man had this woman's attention their whole life. And then all of a sudden there's a baby, right? And then the baby has all of the attention. And this is obviously a very specific type of man that would go and cheat because they're not getting attention from their wife because they are sustaining life to the child that they created together. But I think you do actually see this or hear about it quite a lot is like maybe they haven't had sex for a year or maybe the woman is tired all the time or exhausted all the time because she's a mother and she's literally doing everything to keep this baby alive and to manage the house and to do the laundry and the washing. And this ties back to so many gender stereotypes and the patriarchy and internalized misogyny and so many things that need to change, but sadly still do exist What are your thoughts on that? Good question. I think it depends how long it's been going on. If a couple is not having sex for several months after a baby is born, there are reasons for that, right? And it may mean, yes, that the husband needs to pleasure himself more. But that is a temporary situation. If a couple really is going months or years at a time without having sex, That is clearly an unmet physical need. And my solution is talk about it, figure it out, because there's a reason why the two of you aren't having sex anymore. If the woman is saying, I'm always tired and, you know, I have laundry and I have kids, there's probably some emotional needs on her end that are not being met outside of just the physical limitations after you have a baby. It reminds me, I had a client who told me about this guy that was married that she was talking to, and and she'd been texting him for a long time. 
and they finally met up and went on a date. And this guy was talking about how his wife, they had three kids. She was going through in vitro fertilization and, you know, it was just no sex in the relationship. His wife was sad all the time. And so this is why he justified getting in touch with my client who he'd known from years ago. And my question to her is, why would you want to be involved with this man who is stepping out of his marriage instead of addressing it with his wife, maybe getting a divorce if he's not happy or addressing the issues in the marriage? So I just want to say that, yes, having sex is an important part of a relationship. If it's not happening, it needs to be addressed. It doesn't mean that person should go cheat. That's not the way to solve the problem. That is such a low value man. Like instead of supporting your wife through the grief of IVF, you're trying to get your dick wet with someone else. Like that is disgusting. And the fact that she even went on a date with him knowing he was married as well. I mean, that's that's a whole other thing. And we've done an episode on the other woman. So if you relate to that, please go listen to that episode because I think it's really important. But yeah, I think you're right. Whether it is an unmet emotional need, whether it is an unmet physical need, whether it is short-term, medium-term or long-term These are things that need to be discussed because something that starts small will always snowball as time goes on, particularly in silence. I really, really think things snowball in silence because you also add your own narrative to things. Like I call it the hangman analogy. If you have a situation and you're in silence, you fill in the gaps yourself with a story But the story is not the truth of the situation. So this guy is probably like, I'm not getting my needs met. She's sad. Like she needs time to process that. I need to get my needs met elsewhere, blah, blah, blah. The truth is that's not the reality of the situation at all. Like this man needs to be with his wife, supporting her emotionally. Because when they connect emotionally, that's when they will then connect physically. Like the emotional connection cannot be overlooked. Right. Or he needs to get a divorce. And I think that leads us into the second issue that can come from the relationship are these couples that should not even be together anymore. There's no love there anymore. There's probably no sex there anymore, or maybe there's one or the other. But for some reason, neither one of these people can get out of the relationship. They feel like they're trapped in the relationship. They can't end the relationship. So they cheat. And sometimes a relationship has run its course and there's nothing left. And I think that's another reason that a relationship is susceptible to cheating as well. Yeah. And like I said, when we were talking about my experiences with cheating, he was my first love, my first boyfriend. We'd been together for three years. We'd agreed to go to university together to the same halls in the same building. And I'd fallen out of love with him by that point. I felt like as an 18 year old that I had no way out. It was like, this guy's going to be five doors down from me. Like now looking back as a grown adult that's gone through therapy, of course that could have been navigated and it would have been really sad and it would have been really difficult but it definitely could have been navigated. But as an 18 year old that didn't have a therapist, didn't have anyone to talk to, didn't know how to communicate these things and just drunk all the time, I felt so trapped that I was like, okay, I'm going to have to stay in this relationship. And that's probably how this guy felt in the relationship with the woman doing IVF is that, yeah, I'm sure there are some good times as well, but he probably felt trapped. He has the kids. I can't leave the kids, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, I think that is a very, very valid point is like, we never like to admit when a relationship has ended or when we've moved into just being 
friends or we've shifted out of that romantic partnership into the platonic partnership or that we're still growing and the other person's not growing or our values have changed or our ambitions have changed and what we want from life has changed and that the other person that we met is still the same person they were when we met them. I think that's one of the things that I find craziest about relationships is like, I'm not the same person that I was a year ago let alone the same person I was five years ago. And oh my God, 10 years ago. Like I always say, if you knew me two years ago, you don't know me now. So like, don't, don't go pretending you know me. Don't say like, oh, I know Louise. Like you don't know, you don't know shit about me. Like I have changed so much. It's like, that's why it has to be a conscious connected experience together. Cause you're both going to change and grow. You can't just expect you or the relationship to be who you were five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. We've gone through one issues from within And then we've added it to issues from the relationship. Now, there is actually sections three, some very interesting things about your surroundings. So things going on around you. Now, this is where it can get really juicy. And as we were planning this episode, I was telling Dr. Terry things like, oh yeah, I have a guy friend who does this. I have a guy friend who does that. And she was like, what the fuck? I was like, yeah, this happens. There are people, I'm not going to say guys, but like there are guys, <laughs> there are people out there doing these things and they think they can get away with it. They think that it's normal. They have other people encouraging them. So yeah, Terry, what do you see in practice as like situations outside of you that can increase the likelihood of cheating within a relationship? Yeah, I think the first thing is continuing to put yourself in situations that make you vulnerable to being unfaithful or crossing boundaries. There's a saying, like, if you go to a barber shop enough times, you're eventually going to get a haircut. This probably goes back to, like, lifestyle. If somebody is constantly going out, drinking, clubbing, taking drugs, or just putting themselves in those situations without their partner, that is making them more vulnerable to a situation that could involve cheating. So that's mm. the first thing. Yeah. The guy in the club is never going to be your husband. Sorry, <laughs> but it's true. Like I stand firmly uh, by that. Like the second that you are drunk or taking drugs, you are inebriated. Your judgment is impaired. It's just, of course, it's going to increase the likelihood of cheating. Like I think that is a fact. Don't know what the psychology and the stats behind it, but like it's got to be, right? Yeah. And I also want to say we need to do another episode at some point on why people make going out the way they think they're going to meet people. People go out every night, every weekend. They've been doing this for years and they're trying to find love and it never works out. This is something I just posted about on TikTok today and it just drives me insane. So anyway, that's a sidebar. But yeah, the guy you meet at the club is never going to be your husband. That is actually such an important point. Like one of my best friends, like she's now in a long-term relationship and she used to go out all the time. And she said to me, like, I love that she admitted it to me like a few weeks ago or months ago, whatever. She was like, yeah, like, I don't want to go out anymore. The only reason I was going out is because I was searching for something and I found it and I didn't find him in a nightclub. And I was like, there you go. Like, that's what I've been saying all along. Like the home truth that no one wants to fucking hear is that if you are going out constantly, you are either looking for something or you are running away for something. It is as simple as that. But yeah, I think you're right. Someone who puts themselves in situations that increase the likelihood of cheating happening is, of course, going to increase the likelihood of cheating happening. Do you think there are any other than being in the club? Totally. So like if there's somebody at work that you're attracted to or have a crush on, 
probably shouldn't be hanging out with them one-on-one <laughs> if you want to protect your relationship. Or if you have buddies or girlfriends that cheat or talk about cheating like it's no big deal or encourage you to do that, that making you vulnerable to cheating as well. Yes, you are so right. So when we're talking about this, like outside of you context of another person encouraging it, I think Terry's so right. Like, I think it fits into two categories. There's the first one is like the actual romantic interest. And then the second one is like your support system around you. So I think let's just dig into them quickly. So with the romantic interest, like, of course, if you are still in contact with a person from the past or an ex or someone that you have history with or someone that you haven't cut it out with or someone that you have insane chemistry, toxic chemistry, trauma bond, all of these things that like through this podcast we've realized and have learned are not signs of a healthy relationship but we still admit like they feel so good, right? It's natural that if you keep a romantic interest around the susceptibility to being unfaithful, even if it's micro cheating, you know, little messages here and there, that will be increased. Like it's a given. And I really, really think that's why like if you have a person from the past around that you have hooked up with whilst you're in a relationship, you need to be so clear on like, why are you doing that? And like, are you getting a hit from that? Is there the potential that something could happen there? I have a guy friend who I hooked up with before and I would say he's the only man in my life, the only person from my past that is in my present. And we are 95% friends. But I would say that there is that like tiny, that tiny 5% there, which is like, I never say anything, but he once or twice makes a comment or will make a flirty comment. I'm not going to lie. Like it feels really good, but I know that is very disrespectful to my partner. So I had a conversation with him. I said, like, I know I come into contact with you in these settings and I know I've got your back. Like, I really like you, but you can't act like that with me. It's not fair. It's not fair on my boyfriend. And he was like, I'm so sorry. He was like, I'm so sorry. And he never did it again. But the thing is, is like when he flirted with me, it felt, it felt good, right? Because it comes back to that ego hit, that validation, like, and yeah, you know, it's bad that I'm omitting this, but like, this is the truth is that so many of us will, if someone flirts with us, even if it's just one little message here and there, it feels good. It feels good. Like it feels bad yeah. as well. You feel like fuck, but it feels good too. Yeah. I don't think it's bad you're admitting that. I mean, you're human, but I think it's really good that you're healthy and mature enough to not let that ego part of you take over and you set that boundary with the friend because that is the respectful thing to do. And you always want to be asking yourself, would I be comfortable if my partner were doing the same thing as I'm doing, right? Or if my partner was watching this, how would he or she feel? Yeah, I always think that. And that's one of our boundaries in our relationship is like, you can send whatever the fuck you want to anyone, but like, just if the other person was to read it, how would they feel? And I feel like that has been such a helpful, like part of our foundation and just navigating how we treat each other because yeah, it just feels good as well to know that like, you're not doing anything that would upset them and you can kind of hope and trust that they're doing the same. Um, totally. So that's romantic interest. I think, like you said, the support system is really, really interesting as well. Because if you have friends around you that think it's normal or that will have your back and that will let you get away with it, will lie for you, will do it too, of course, that's going to increase your likelihood of you or your partner, if it's their friends, doing it. Because, like, 
they normalize it. Yeah. Because I mean, what does it even mean that your friends have your back? If your friends really have your back, like you said, they're going to call you out on it and be like, what are you doing? I love you, but this is not in alignment with who I know you are. Like what is going on? Doesn't mean they're going to call your boyfriend and tell him right away. They are going to be on your side. But if you have friends or a group of friends that are high integrity, they're going to want you to have high integrity too. And I think that's what we're really talking about. If they feel like lying and cheating is just a normal part of relationships, they're not going to call you out on it. They're going to probably support it and and help you make it happen. Yeah, you're so right. High integrity is such an important phrase. And I guess another thing that we've sort of touched on is like another factor outside of you in this cheating formula that can increase the likelihood of susceptibility to infidelity is social media. And I'd love to see or to hear from you like, Do you see this in practice? People like more likely to come into contact with people or more likely to get cheeky DM slides or picture likes from people that they shouldn't? Like, are you seeing this being a trend in terms of increasing the likelihood of infidelity? Oh, absolutely. Social media is a whole (laughs) subject of infidelity on its own. Yeah, there's more opportunity. There's basically endless opportunity. There's this whole issue of boundaries and where do we put the boundaries on social media? Listen, I've worked with people who are like, everything else in my relationship is great. I don't care that he likes Instagram models pictures and is constantly looking at those or commenting on those. Personally, for me as somebody's therapist, I don't like that at all because I think that is showing a complete lack of respect for the relationship in your partner. Why do you need to be liking other people's sexy photos? That for me would be a boundary that I would encourage everybody to have and keep in their relationship. And at least at bare minimum to be curious about it with their partner. Why do you feel the need to engage with these people on Instagram and to share how it makes you feel? Yeah, I think you can like throw out a couple of likes here and there, like whatever. But really, I think if it is a repeated pattern of anything, I think it's just embarrassing. Like if my boyfriend did it, I'd be grossed out by it. I don't like any guy's pictures on Instagram, but like sometimes you will get a reel of some amazing travel video and it's got some guy in it. Like, you know, yeah, I might like that, but honestly, I don't think I do. But you're right. I think it's about being curious. Like why, why are you liking that? Like I can't help but think that I think it's disrespectful. If my boyfriend did it, I would say it was disrespectful. If I was engaging with loads of guys and them in like swimsuits and stuff like that, like, yeah, it's weird. Like, I just don't think it's a sign of a healthy person or a healthy relationship. No. I mean, if you're single, fine, do what you want. And also people have excuses too. Like I've had clients whose boyfriends have said things like, well, you know, it's for my business. I'm a photographer. I'm in real estate. To me, it's like, okay, well, I think it's just an excuse. I think it's manipulation. Mm -hmm. I think there's an ulterior motive there, just like you're saying. I just don't think it's respectful. Okay. So yeah, I think that is so important to understand that there are these factors outside of you that can increase the likelihood of cheating. So putting yourself in situations where it increases the likelihood or being around people that increase the likelihood, whether that's someone from your past, whether that's your friends, whether that's enablers, real friends 
would not let you do something so damaging or that reflects badly on you as a low value person, but enablers will let you do anything. And I think the final place to wrap up this episode is this, this concept of silence. Like I know someone that cheats on their partner and it is an unhealthy relationship and they're an unhealthy person. Otherwise they wouldn't be doing this. And I asked them how and why. And that person said like, oh, it's so easy. Like as long as you stay silent and the other person stays silent, there's literally no problem. And I was like, yeah, I was kind of shocked by that. But I was also like, that is kind of true. Like if I wanted to cheat on my partner, if any of us wanted to cheat on our partner, you could find someone and you could go and cheat on them if you knew you would keep it silent forever. And if you knew the other person would keep it silent forever. Now, obviously that doesn't happen in a lot of situations and it can get so messy. And I think that's why infidelity is so messy. But it is true that if there is a silence outside of you, if there is a belief that it can be got away with, if there's a belief that you won't get caught, being in a situation outside of you with someone that's going to support that silence as well is going to increase the likelihood. So yeah, I think that is damaging. And I think it's just something to be aware of. Ultimately, all of this comes back to you as an individual or your partner as an individual, like their need for short-term gratification and pleasure being greater than their respect for the relationship or a belief that I guess this ties into the point of silence, like a belief that there will be few, no or minor repercussions from the act. And yeah, I guess that brings me to the very final point is like, let's talk about how if you're in a relationship that enables cheating or has forgiven cheating in the past, does that increase the likelihood that it will be forgiven again? I would say in most cases, yes. We've talked about like the PDF about those 10 criteria that need to be in place in order for a relationship to be able to recover after infidelity. Most people who take back their cheating partner don't have those 10 things in place. So yes, if you forgive someone for cheating on you, you take them back. Subconsciously, you've already taught them that they can cheat and you're not going anywhere. So once it happens more than once, it's now a pattern of behavior and pretty much something you're signing up for until you decide to leave. Yikes. I think it's so difficult because my mom's friend has a friend and she forgave her narcissist unfaithful partner so many times. And then it was just like, yeah, it's heartbreaking to watch you so heartbroken, but like you kind of gave him the go ahead by yeah. taking him back 15 times before. Even if I can fully empathize and understand why you took him back and why you did that for the family and the house and the deep love that you think you have for him, even if it's a trauma bond. If you are someone that continues to be in relationships where you are cheated on, there is something in this pattern that you need to become aware of. And you do not deserve to be cheated on. If that's happening for you, something needs to shift. And I guess my final point, which I think some people will be sitting here asking as well is, so what do I have to keep an eye out for? What can I do to reduce the likelihood of getting cheated on? Now, I know this is not a simple answer, but I was just wondering if you had any final thought on anything that anyone can do to reduce the likelihood of getting cheated on. Does that start with partner choice? Like, what is that? Yeah, like you said, there's not one formula, right? Like, there's not one answer to that. But I will say that you're less likely to end up in a relationship with somebody who's going to cheat on you if you take your time, slow down. Get to know somebody, observe their behavior, look out for things like, do they have integrity? Which means, do their words and their behaviors match? 
you need to really not overlook red flags. Red flags are things like they seem to have a lack of empathy for you, other people. They don't really self-reflect. They're a bit emotionally immature, which means they don't really know themselves that well. They might be impulsive. They don't understand their impact on other people. Anybody who is dismissive of your feelings, anybody who lies. So if you catch them in a lie or withholding the truth from you, that's a huge red flag. And that's very much tied to somebody who could cheat on you because lying is lying. So I think the biggest thing for people to understand is, yes, it really is about partner choice and it's about pacing and being willing to walk away when you see some of these red flag behaviors. Yeah. If there's one thing you've taught me, it's that pacing can help you see the truth of a person. And I also think we can also hold space here for the people that have dated the narcissist, the sociopath, the people that they really feel like the wool has been totally pulled over their eyes because there are people out there who can basically create an entire fantasy that you believe they exist. And actually there's someone that's totally different. So I think with that personality piece, it's really, really about, again, just taking it even more safely, taking it slowly, looking at everything, even the tiniest things where you think that could be something, you know, just be aware of it rather than getting swept up in these whirlwinds of love and romance, because sometimes further down the line, that can really come back to haunt us. And I think that brings us to the PDFs. So Terry, I would love it if you could just tell me a little bit around why you decided as the head therapist here that these are PDFs that people need. So the first PDF is my partner cheated, should I stay? And this PDF, I feel is so important because Louise, you and I were talking and you said like, what? Like if someone cheats, who's going to stay? And what I said is in my practice, most people stay. And just through the years of my work with clients, I've come to understand there are very specific circumstances where cheating can happen and a relationship can move forward and rebuild trust and thrive. But all of these 10 criteria have to be considered and have to be met. So that's what this PDF is for, because it is one of the most painful things we can go through when we're cheated on. And it's like the whole relationship is different now. It's like a before and after. And the question is always, can I trust this person? Should I stay with this person? So that PDF is going to give you all therapy-backed guidance to answer that question. So the second PDF is... I think my partner may be cheating on me. What next? And we get this question all the time. You know, I've worked with this in my clinical practice. So the PDF is really going to help you consider what should I be looking for if I think my partner cheated on me? What do I do next? How do I respond? What action should I take? And these are going to be very tangible things for you to do. And also these are going to be very tangible tools for you if you were in this situation. And I just feel like these are two of the most common questions we get asked, especially around cheating. And so we want to get these PDFs into all of your hands to have all of your questions answered. Yeah, I think it's so important that the resources we create are the things that people need the most. And I think we can judge what people need the most by who you have seen coming in and out of your therapy room for years and years and years. So 
Yes. Thank you, everyone. I really hope you're going to take value not only from this free episode and these PDFs. Everything that you need is in the show notes. And until then, thank you, Dr. Terry. A very, very important and slightly triggering episode today. (laughs) Hope everyone is okay listening. And remember, we are here to love and support you through this thing called life. And we will see you very soon. Bye. Bye.